0: excited about this series that we've been doing here in this month, in the month of January. In fact, we launched our year, and this series has been called Living on the Edge. How many of you have enjoyed it so far? It's been really, really good. I've, I've loved every week. I will say this. If you have missed this Sunday, I would highly suggest you go back and watch. Um, it's been really powerful. It's been really challenging. And I also think that spiritually it's really significant as we talk about setting the tone for our year. What will our year look like? I can't think of a better message for us than the fact that as Christians, if you are following Jesus in this room, we are called to live on the edge. And kind of what we've been talking about is the idea that as Christians, we're not called to go with the mainstream. We're not called to look like the world. We actually are called to be set apart. In fact, Jesus will say, broad and wide is the road that leads to destruction, but small is the gate and narrow is the road that leads to life and few people find it. And that should be a challenging word for those of us who are believers, that this road that we're called to live on is not the mainstream, it's not the wide and it's not the broad, it's this narrow road. And Jesus has called us to live separate. We're called to think differently, to to be different in the way that we live. We are called a peculiar people which means that we're called to be set apart. It means that we're living in the world, but we're not of it. In fact, Jesus, when he's praying for his disciples, he's praying to the father and he says, father, I don't pray that you would take them out of the world. I'd pray that you keep them from the enemy. Don't take them out of the world, the world needs them, but keep them from being polluted by the evil in the world. And that's what we're called to live. And then last week, it was a really great word on the fact that we're all called to give God glory. That our lives are not meant for ourselves, but our lives are caused, we're meant to give God glory. And so I'm really excited to wrap this series out with you today. And um, the title of my message is called Guided by Conviction. If you'll join me as we pray, Lord, we love you. You are so good and you are moving in this place. And so, Lord, we give you the next couple of minutes that we have together, Lord, and we ask that you would do what only you can do in our hearts, that you would transform us. God, I thank you that you are better than we know. God, even our best ideas of you, you're, even, you're way better than that. And so tonight, or today, this morning, as we um, jump into the Word, God, would you speak to us in only the way that you can transform our lives? We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so today we're talking about being guided by convictions. If we are going to be a people who are set apart, who are living on the edge, if we're going to give God glory in our lives, then we have to be guided by something. And what we are called to be guided by are convictions. Now, let me just go ahead and clarify this for you. I'm not talking about the conviction that comes from the Holy Spirit, right? That is a version of conviction. That's a part of conviction, right? That the Holy Spirit, sometimes he points out things in us against the word, sin in our lives. It's not really what we're talking about today. What I'm talking about today are your standards, your morals. What are you living for? What does your life, the way that you live, what does it say about you? And I have a working definition of conviction so that we're all on the same page. I think it's going to go on the screen, and this is what I have. Conviction is being so thoroughly convinced that something is absolutely true that you take a stand for it regardless of the consequences. This is how we are called to live. This is the conviction in which we're called to live by, that we're so convinced that no matter what happens, this is how we're going to live. And it's funny because I was, was getting ready for today. I was kind of thinking about the fact that when I was young, you know, my whole life really, I have I've always been enthralled and really just kind of amazed at people who live with great conviction how many of you have ever, you probably are thinking about someone in your own life, like someone who just like, yeah, you know, they really live by conviction, like they're a person of conviction. And I think where it started for me, if I'm honest, was um, in third grade, I, like I was thinking about it. And in third grade, I remember my teacher told us we had a book report that we were going to do. And she told us, like, hey, when y'all go to the library this week, you'll have um, time to go every day, when you go to the library, here's what you're going to do. You're going to pick a book, whatever book you want, and you're going to write a report on it, and then you're going to make a box. You're going to dress like that person or whatever that book is, and you're going to present it in front of the class. And I was super excited, you know, like, yay, this is, sounds great. And so I went to the library, and um, well I did something different than the rest of my schoolmates, which is usually how my life goes. And so everybody else, whenever got ready for presentation day, because we all had to show up in what we were, our book report was. And so everybody else showed up in really cute things, like um, like marine biologists, because you know for us Lisa Frank determined our life. And so we all wanted to work with dolphins. And so lots of those. Um, there were ice skaters and like people who did Barbie and things like that. Well, the book I found. <laughs> was a book about the life of Mother Teresa. So I showed up in third grade looking like Mother Teresa. Um, most of the students in third grade did not know who I was. And, um, but I can tell you this, I remember getting that book in the library. I had never heard of her. You know, at this point we weren't going to church, so I had no concept of really the Lord or anything like that. And I was so moved in third grade in the library reading about a woman who was so, who lived so much by conviction that she decided to give up everything and to move to the streets of India and serve people. And not only just to serve people, but really hurt and broken and lost people. I mean, she was, she was ministering to people that a lot of people would always walk over and would avoid, the hurting and the broken, the diseased and she touched them, and she loved them, and she filled their bellies, and she shared the gospel of Jesus. Now, I didn't pick that up in my third grade class, but I grew to know that about her. And I just have always kind of been, I think it was that moment where I kind of thought for a minute, this is how I wanna live my life. Like, I want my life to matter. Like, I want it to mean something. I wanna live in a way that I'm fully convinced of something, that I'm not backing down. You know, and, I, and I hopefully, you know, we're all living like that because I can tell you this, is that the life that you're called to live as a Christian, so if you're in here and you would say, I follow Jesus, he's in my heart, the life you're called to live is one that is guided by conviction. This is, all, this is how we're all to live. It's not just for Mother Teresa in a book, you know, for me in third grade. This is actually the call for all of us, is to be so thoroughly convinced that we're willing to stand up for it no matter what happens. And I wonder, is this the life that we're living? My question would be, is, are you living by conviction? Because what culture wants us to do, culture wants us to conform. Culture wants us to to do what it does. It wants us to look like it. But if we're called to be set apart, then how does this look? Because the reality is that for all of us as Christians, we have been given the most beautiful gospel message and in fact, we're not just called to, you know, not to be set apart, but also to stand out. Here's the problem with that, though, is that if we look like the world, we can't change it. If I'm living the exact same way the world is living, I can't change that. They don't want what I'm having to offer. If I'm struggling the same way they are, if I'm living the exact same way they are, if I feel hopeless and I'm, I feel like I'm just walking around, I have no purpose, I'm not really living by conviction, they don't want that. Because a convictionless life looks a lot like immaturity. It looks like being wishy-washy. And what the world would say is that it looks like hypocrisy. Which is why a lot of the world, people who don't believe in Jesus, don't want to be in a church. Because they say that's actually what the church is full of. And I wonder, are we living with conviction? And so this morning, we're going to kind of be in the book of Daniel... Um, Now, Daniel is in the Old Testament. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Daniel chapter one. It's going to be on the screens as well. But just to kind of give you a little background on the book of Daniel, I love the book of Daniel. It's one of my favorites, which all my students say, you say everything is your favorite. I really do love the book of Daniel. Has a lot to offer. It's like a book of leadership. There's lots of cool stories. I mean, if you watch VeggieTales growing up, you know, probably the book of Daniel. And um, it's just really, really amazing. And the book of Daniel has 12 chapters in it. The first six chapters of the book of Daniel are historical. So it is actually showcasing what Daniel lived, what the children of Israel were living in at the time. And the second half of the book of Daniel is actually end-time prophecy. So it's both a historical book and a prophet book. And I, the reason why we're going to land here in the book of Daniel is because I can think of no person or book in the Bible that models for us how we are to live a life of conviction in a culture that is pressing us to conform. In fact, Daniel is almost like a playbook for those of us who love Jesus. It's kind of showing because Daniel knew exactly what it was like to have to stand firm in a culture that was screaming to conform. And so that's what we're gonna be. A little background about when we pop into the life of Daniel. The Israelites at this point, these are God's chosen people, the people he set apart for himself. But they have been in a pattern of disobedience. They've been in a pattern of rejecting God. And God over and over and over again has warned them, listen, turn to me. Turn your heart toward me. And over and over again, they just are disobeying. They're not repenting. And so God tells them, listen, it's it's going to happen. You're going to be taken into captivity. It's going to happen turned to me, and they didn't because they're humans, right? And so Israel at this time gets split into two kingdoms. There's the Northern Kingdom and the Southern Kingdom. Daniel lives in the Southern Kingdom called Judah. Judah will be taken into captivity by the Babylonians. So when we meet Daniel in Daniel chapter one, Daniel is a teenage Hebrew boy. He's an Israelite. And him and his crew have been taken into Babylonia. Now, just to give you an idea about the culture of Babylonia, it is an incredibly godless culture, incredibly godless. In fact, it's self-indulging. There's all kinds of sin, witchcraft going on. In fact, the theme of Babylonia would be, if it feels good, do it. If you want to do it, go right on ahead. There was child sacrifice. I mean, horrible, horrible things going on. They didn't serve the one true God, Yahweh. They served many gods. They made images and idols. They worshipped all kinds of things. And so Daniel and his friends, these teenagers, are taken into Babylonian exile, into slavery. And so when we meet Daniel, this is where he's at, and we're going to start reading. I'm going to read Daniel chapter 1. I'm going to read verses 3 through 8. Now the king of Babylonia, his name is King Nebuchadnezzar. And so it says, Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, To bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and of the nobility. Young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that, they were to enter into the king's service. Among those who were chosen were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief official gave them new names. To Daniel, the name Belteshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine, and he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. Now... We see Daniel and his teenage friends. Here they are, and they're in Babylonia. We know that this culture is godless. They don't serve God. And here Daniel and his crew are, and we see immediately what the MO of this culture is. The first MO is indoctrination. The first thing that they do is they teach them all about their culture. They would teach them the literature, what we believe, how we operate. We want you to conform to how we want you to live. So we need to teach you how we are. So that would have happened. Um, the second thing we see is the fact that their identity is kind of comes into question. They give them new names. They want to make them think something differently of themselves. You're not these Hebrew boys. Now you live here. You're a part of us. And then the third thing we see is that there's temptation because it says That they were given some food and wine, a ration of food and wine from the king's table. Now, it's easy to miss this right here because if you don't know, then you don't know. But this was actually a really big deal for Daniel because for Daniel and his friends, they are Israelites. We've already said that the Israelites were God's chosen people, they were called to live set apart which meant that the way they lived was different than all the other cultures around them. For these boys, they would have had strict dietary laws that they would have abided by, set forth by God for them to be separate. So this food that would have been offered them would have probably broken most of their dietary laws. So already what they want them to do is like, hey, go ahead and just do it. And I can imagine that for Daniel and his friends, this is probably really tempting right? Because I would imagine food from the king's palace is good food. (laughs) It's not gluten-free cookies. It's the real stuff, you know? It's like the good steak, you know? It's like the good food. And why I would imagine it'd be super tempting too is because for Daniel and and his crew, mom and dad aren't around. We don't see mom and dad here. Like, why wouldn't they do it? Why not just take a bite? Who's gonna know? Like, they could eat the food. Everybody else is probably gonna do it. Like, why not? Like, why not eat food that even though it was sacrificed to idols probably and whatever, just eat it. Like, no one's going to know. And there was a real temptation for them not to live that way because they weren't going to have to go to the temple anymore. So, I mean, to be quite honest, they could have been like, you know what, let's just do it. Like, let's have some fun while we do it. But we see that in verse 8, it says that Daniel resolved not to defile himself which means that Daniel had predetermined, had made up his mind already that he was not going to be indoctrinated, that God was his God. He wasn't gonna serve the Babylonian gods. He wasn't gonna do what they would tell him to do. But Daniel and his friends had already made this choice. They were already living guided by conviction. They believed that their God was real. Yahweh was good that he still, while they were in slavery, was gonna take care of them and they were not going to to succumb and be a part of the mainstream of this culture, but they were gonna be set apart. And I wonder for us, what are the convictions of the Christian life that you're living? Do you live guided by conviction? And, you know, because the reality is is that what you have made up your mind to do will determine whether or not you can stand firm in a culture that there's tension. Because I don't know about you, but when I read about Babylon, or we're talking about Babylon, it seems a lot like the culture we're living in today. It doesn't seem that far off, right? We live in a culture that has values that are screaming. It's aggressive. It's aggressive to do what feels good. If you wanna do it, do it. Why does it matter if you're not hurting anybody? And I wonder if this is how we're living. And maybe you've never thought about it. Maybe you're like, I've actually never thought about whether or not I'm living with conviction. Or maybe you're like, no, I don't, I don't think I'm living with conviction. I can tell you without, without a doubt that you are absolutely living with convictions because the life that you live displays your convictions. The life you are living displays what you believe to be true. And it's very interesting because when I was getting ready for this, I ran across this, this statistic, and this is a pretty wild one to me. So go with me here, but I was reading and it was talking about information overload, that we are living in a, in a world, in a culture, in a society where we have access to more information than ever before. In fact, the average human being is exposed to 34 gigabytes of information a day. Now, if you're techie in here, you get that. I don't really understand gigabytes, it feels like math and that's not really my strong suit. Um, but don't worry because the statistic finished saying, That if a human being were to take this in every day for a week, that that amount would be a sufficient quantity to overload a laptop in a week. That's wild. I also saw that it's like the average person touches their phone a little over 2,000 times a day. I don't know. It seems right, though. I don't know. But doesn't this, this feels kind of right, doesn't it? I mean, think about it. This, you, you are taking in information constantly, whether or not you even know it. Every time you put on music, you're taking in information. Every time you turn on the TV, you're taking in information. Every time you go on social media, you scroll, you're taking in information. Every time you turn on the radio, you're taking in information. Every time you turn on a streaming service, you're taking on information. And culture is telling you what they want you to believe. They are giving us their values. They are showcasing it, they're not hiding it. Culture wants you to just, and what culture wants you to do is it wants you to live in a way in which you don't even realize it. Like, I just listen to it because of the beat, you know? Like, right? And my question is, is is the information that you're taking in, does it match the Word of God? Because I think that every day, obviously we're taking in information And every day we're making choices about that information. And I think that those choices will put us into three different kinds of streams. Okay. This is not exhaustive, but in my opinion, either we will live by default and living by default. What I mean by that is this is a way of living in way we fall in line with culture. We just kind of are like, "Eh, it's fine. It's like I like the bead, I'm not gonna go against it, it's fine. I'm just gonna like listen to it. It's totally fine, like it's fine. You know, whatever, it's not hurting anybody. I'm just gonna do it. I'm not really gonna push back, mostly because I wanna avoid any kind of tension anyways. I don't wanna have that really weird conversation with that person. I don't want them to know at work that I feel like that or at school that I feel like that. And honestly, this would just be the easier way. This is the life of avoidance. I'm avoiding living with conviction because it's just easier. It's just easier, right? And living in default is where most people will find themselves. That's where most of humanity will be. And maybe if you're not living in default, maybe you'll fall into the second stream, which is living by emotion or reaction. Now, living by emotion means that we're making decisions and we're setting standards in our lives based on our feelings. Like, I have some convictions, but if I feel a different way on a different day about it, then I'll just do something different. Like, my convictions are as good as how I feel about it in the day. Like, I wasn't doing that a year ago, but now I'm like, it's totally fine, right? Like, no big deal. And we make decisions on what feels good in the moment, and this feels like a really wishy-washy way to live, doesn't it? And honestly, like it's like I can't figure out where you are. This is probably where a lot of hypocritical living kind of lives, right? It's like you were, you, were, you were really convinced of that last week and now like you're totally doing that thing that you said you would never do. But then there's a third stream and this is the stream where, which we're actually all called to live, which is living by conviction. This is that solid, immovable belief based on my confidence in God and his word I'm so convinced that this is truth, that nothing can persuade me different. It means that I live in a way that is congruent with what I believe, that my life actually matches what I say I believe. And this is the life for us as Christians that we are called to live. We're called to live in the stream of conviction. This is, we're, we're called to be guided by it. And Daniel is a really great representation for us and and how to do that. But can I tell you an even better example for us in how to live a life guided by conviction? It's Jesus. Yeah, it's a Sunday school answer, right? It's Jesus. If you wanna know how you're supposed to live as a believer, look to him. And can I tell you something? He lived guided by conviction. Because can I tell you something? Only conviction would lead him to the cross. It wouldn't be living by default in the customs of the world and it certainly wouldn't be living by emotions and feelings. But Jesus himself was so, he he lived with such conviction that his father was true and good, that he had a plan even in his death for humanity. And so what ended up happening is, is he didn't conform to the culture of the world and he certainly didn't react to it. And when he was tempted by the devil himself or when he was tempted by the religious leaders of the time, he wasn't tricked, he wasn't swayed, and he wasn't baited. He lived with conviction. And this is the life that he's called us to live, a life guided by conviction. So if I'm you and I'm sitting here because I'm just running through my thought process, I'm wondering, okay, if we're called to live guided by conviction, what would that kind of life look like? Well, I'm glad you asked. Because a Christian life guided by conviction looks like this. Number one, it looks like the fact that the word informs my conviction. If we want to live a Christian life that is guided by conviction, we live in a way in which the word of God is the supreme authority in our lives. That actually nothing has better, higher say than the word that my values, my morals, my standards are all based on and built off of the word. Because let me tell you, Paul talks about this in the book of Colossians. He kind of describes what happens when we give our hearts to the Lord. He says that we were rescued out of the dominion of darkness and we were put into the kingdom of the son he loves and whom there is forgiveness of sins. So literally we were plugged out of darkness and put into the kingdom of God. And when that happens, What we are saying is now Jesus, God, is the king of my life. He actually now gets to determine what is right and wrong for me. Because when I give him my life, I am submitting to what he says is right and wrong. So now my convictions are only informed by what he says, which is the word of God. That's what we're saying when we give our lives to the Lord. And it is critical that we understand this. It's, it's incredibly critical. It's very important that you get it. It's very important that we stay true to the Word of God. It is very important that we believe the Word of God. It is very important that we read the Word of God because there is a direct assault on the Word of God by our culture and the enemy himself. Look at the world. I, I mean, a lot of our students are on TikTok, so, I got a TikTok and I really don't know how to work it. And as I'm on there, I'm finding more and more TikTok pastors who are stretching and changing truth and it is not true. But if you don't know it, you don't know that it's true. So now we have young people who are believing things that aren't actually true, but it's because we're not in the word enough to know what is true and how to test it. And I can tell you that for me, it's very concerning As someone who pastors people, as someone who meets regularly with people, it's very concerning our take on the word of God. How as Christians, it's so easy for us to say that we believe it's so important for the life of us as Christians and we never open it up. If you're going to be a Christian that is guided by convictions, you've got to know what God says. How can you do that if you never know what it is that he's saying? How do we know how to do that if we never know what his standards are, what he says to us? And the problem is is that culture says to do and feel, like do what feels good, like whatever you want, do, do that. The problem is is that my feelings and my emotions don't determine the word of God. It actually has nothing to do with it. <laughs> Those are two totally separate things and a lot of times they live in tension with each other. So I got to know the word. That's what it means to me. Because what you believe about the Bible, what you believe to be true, will determine the level of conviction that you're willing to live out in the world. What you believe to be true about the word will determine the level of conviction that you live out. You know, David in Psalm 1, he writes, blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way of that, of way that sinners take in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by the streams of water which yield fruit in season and does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. What David is saying, blessed are people who love the word, who, I mean, eat it every day, who read it every day, who meditated on it every day, who memorize it, who it's, it's so important because that person will be like a tree planted by waters, it will be thriving. When culture is full of anxiety and everybody's wishy-washy and nothing feels sure that we can be thriving and fruitful if we love the Word. And we've gotta be in the Word. Guys, as Christians, we need to know the Word. We need to know it. And not only do we need to know it, we need to live it. We gotta live the Word. I can tell you it's so important. Paul is talking to Timothy in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. He says, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. It's everything for us. And I wonder, do we know it? And not only do we know it, do we apply it? That means that when the Bible says that you shouldn't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, you need to stay away from foolish and coarse joking. That means that I should have a conviction about that at my job. That means that it actually gets to determine how I live when I go to school. If it says that I need to walk in the way of love, I need to forgive people, there should be some conviction in my life in which I can do that. It's not just that it would inform it, it would that we could put it into practice. If we're gonna live a life guided by conviction, the second thing would be that convictions breed courage to resist the pressure. Okay, we are called to resist the pressure of culture. Living guided by conviction breeds courage for us to do that. Now, we read in Daniel chapter one, right? Daniel and his crew, they've decided, they predetermined, listen, we're not gonna be defiled by this food. Well, a couple of chapters later, we're going to see Daniel's crew. Daniel's not there, but we see Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And many of you probably have heard this story. There is a decree that King Nebuchadnezzar has put out, right? This is a godless culture. He has created a golden idol, and he has decided that what he wants is that every time the music goes, um, that everybody has to bow down and worship the idol. So he says, okay, this is what's going to happen. When the music goes off, everybody should do it. So everybody in the kingdom is doing it except for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These boys, teenage boys, who are living with conviction, right? And so King Nebuchadnezzar gets a word that they're not doing it. So he brings them forward and he's like, why are you not doing what I'm telling you to do? Do you not know that I have decreed this? (laughs) That there's punishment if you don't do it? And in Daniel chapter three, verses 16 through 18, we see their response. It says, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you have set up. We're not going to do it. We are men who love God and we are living with convictions. We are being guided by our convictions and we're not gonna do it. And King Nebuchadnezzar looks at him and he's angry, his fury burns. And so he's like, okay, well if you don't do it, you're gonna be thrown into the furnace. So he actually, because he's so angry, he gets the furnace even hotter. In fact, they said it was so hot that the the, the guards who threw them in were killed just from like having to throw them in. And some of us know this story, right? The three guys get thrown in and they're watching and all of a sudden, in amazement, not only do they see three guys, now they see four. And, and none of them are hurt. So King Nebuchadnezzar pulls them out. He's like, what's going on? And when he sees them, he knows that they're not burned. They don't even, nothing is singed even, that they've been rescued. And it says that they're the sons, son of God was in there. A lot of people believe this could have been Jesus himself or an angel was with him. And we see King Nebuchadnezzar's response because later in verses 28 through 29, it says, it's an incredible story. Here's the thing. These guys, because they had already predetermined to be guided by conviction, they, when the pressure was applied and the situation arose, like, hey, I'm going to throw you into the fire. They didn't have to figure out what they were going to do. They were already convinced. No matter what the consequences, this is how I'm living. We believe in God. And it's a really beautiful story, right? It's this really incredible story. And Here's the problem sometimes with this story is that what can happen is, is that we get a false message from this story. And that false message could be that if I do everything right and I stand up for God in the way that I should, if I have all the right convictions and I go into every space and I have them and I'm good, that nothing bad is going to happen. And even if something bad does happen, God's going to rescue me. He's gonna get me out of the den of lions. He's gonna get me out of the furnace. And so all I need to do is stand with conviction and God's gonna take care of me all the time and I'm gonna be comfortable. That would be the wrong way to look at this. Because if you look at the book of Acts and you look at the early disciples of Jesus, let me tell you something. Persecution for them wasn't a question of if it was gonna happen, it was when. These were men living with conviction. They saw Jesus, they walked with him. And they were convinced that he is the way. They were brought into the religious leaders constantly, thrown in jail, and yet they stayed true. You can look at you know, other places. You read in Hebrews chapter 11. It's the great faith chapter, right? All these people who have gone before. Let me tell you something. Some of God's best suffered. So this teaching isn't like, hey, if you have good enough convictions, God's gonna take care of you every single time. What it's saying is, is that we have to be convinced without a shadow of doubt that no matter what happens, this is how I'm going to live. And even if he doesn't pull me out of the furnace, this is still how I'm gonna live because he's that good. I'm so convinced that my God is so good that no matter what happens to me and no matter what trials I face, I'm gonna be okay. That's actually the point of this story. And I know because I'm so, yeah, God's so good. And I'm so challenged by this because you know, recently you could ask some of the students or some of my friends in the room. I have been so like, um, just fascinated by the Chinese underground church over in China. It's the fastest growing church. And you know, it's not necessarily illegal to be a Christian in China, but in order to have a, a, a government sanctioned church, you actually have to like give your messages to the, to the state, the the government actually can have say into what they preach. And so A lot of churches have to go underground, which means they go into houses where they're not seen so they can actually preach the full gospel. And I was reading an article not too long ago of this man who was living with conviction that he loved Jesus and he wanted his people to experience Jesus and that no matter what happened, this is how he was gonna live. Well, the Chinese government found out what he was doing and they put him in prison and he's been there for 13 years. And the article was, was interviewing his daughter and his daughter was saying, man, I go and visit him in prison and he still tells me like, Jesus is so good. And can I tell you something? Only a man guided by conviction can live in that way. But that is the life that we're called to live. And what's happened is we've gotten so comfortable here because a lot of times our Christianity, our beliefs, they don't cost us much. But this is the life that we're called to live. And the last way, if we're gonna live a life guided by convictions we have to live, is that convictions must be lived. A conviction is not a conviction unless you live it. Your loud opinions, the things that you like to say, the things that you're even passionate about, unless you live it, it's just talk. Because what you believe, you will live. What you don't live, you don't believe. That's a hard word for us. I wonder how many of us are sitting in here and we say like, oh yeah, you know, the Bible, like I believe God in, informs my convictions. Like I could even think that he could give me, you know, some, I would walk in conviction so I could resist the pressure, but it's the walking out that matters. It's not conviction unless we're doing it. In fact, James, in the book of James chapter one, verses 21 through 25, James says, therefore, Get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word that is planted in you, which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves, but do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and then after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. James is literally saying, you can't just hear the word. You can't just have your convictions informed by the word. Now you have to do it. There is a doing aspect of our faith. This is our convictions are actually lived out because your life displays what your convictions are. I can tell you this, that I love Jesus. I am convinced, I I live, you know, with a conviction that he is my savior and that my life is for him no matter the consequences. Guess what that means for me? That means that based on what his word says, now there are things that I don't do. It means there are places that I don't go. It means there are websites I don't go to. It means that there's movies I don't watch. It means there's TV shows I don't watch. It means that there's music I don't allow in my car. It means that there are times where I have to unfollow some people on social media because it's not good. And this is where I think we get tripped up because I think all of us can agree that the word should inform how we live. And I wonder, are we living it? Are we living it? Because I can tell you that God wants you to live a life of personal conviction. He does not want you to be some robot that's following him, that's just doing whatever he says. He wants you to live with personal conviction. He wants you to live in a way in which what you believe about him is so deep inside of your bones that anybody who gets around you, it's like it oozes out. Like when people are around you, it's like they can't help but to feel that. That's actually the life that we're called to live if we're going to be guided by conviction. I'll tell you this, these last 21 days we've been doing, you know, 21 days of prayer and dedication. Some of us have been fasting and I've been fasting some things and reading my Bible. And I I read my Bible. I love my Bible. It's actually my favorite part of my walk with Jesus. But I've been specifically in the Gospels um, just And through a myriad of reasons, some of my Bible reading is there. And so I just have been in the gospels. Now, let me tell you something. I feel like I can say, stand up here. I'm not perfect by any means, but I feel like I can confidently say I'm a person. I feel like I live with conviction. I I believe Jesus is the only way that he's good. And I live like that. I feel like my life, you know, and and as much as I can, again, I'm not perfect. I sin just like you guys, but I feel like I, I do. I will tell you this, in the last 21 days, I have been more convicted on living a life of conviction, reading the Gospels, than I have ever before. When I have been reading the Gospels, it's beautiful. I have been reading the Gospels, and you know what I've been seeing? How people had incredible faith. How Jesus was moving and he was healing. Like, he was he was touching people who never had been touched before. Lepers who had to stand outside the city, but they had heard if only they could get close that he could do it. Or the woman with the issue of blood and all the doctors told her it was impossible. And she said, but if I could just touch the hem of his garments, I think I could be healed. Or the lame or the blind who have been blind from childhood, from birth. And in in the time, culture would have said, it's something you did that made you like that. Jesus would heal them. He'd actually take mud and put it on their eyes. They would get sight for the very first time. And I can tell you this, I have been so convicted. I'm wondering, do I live with the conviction that it's the same God of then as it is today, that he actually wants to heal people today, that he actually wants to move in people's lives today, that he actually wants to take scales off of people's eyes today, that he wants to save people today. And I wonder, do we live like that? I am so convinced. And then guess what happened? It was put to the test. Because I told you that two weeks ago, we took our, we took our seniors to the beach. And um, one of the nights, we actually all went to Broadway at the beach and we all split up to go have dinner. And I went to a restaurant with about 15 other students and leaders. And so we were all in the restaurant, we're all eating, no big deals. Like we were living our lives, you know? And I had to go to the restroom. So I went into to the bathroom and it was just me. But when I got into the restroom, I noticed that there was a girl there and her friend. And the girl was sobbing. She was crying very hard, very loudly. And I, when I got into the restroom, it was very small and she was talking to her friends. So I didn't wanna be weird, right? And I was kind of like, I just wanted to like, I just wanna use the restroom, wash my hands and get back to the table, you know? So I, I walked in, I kind of brushed past her a little bit, you know, kind of whatever, got into the stall. As I got out and I was washing my hands, she's still just crying. I mean, it's not stopping her friend. is like, what can I do to help you, you know? And I'm just like, man, I just got to get out. This is weird, you know? And immediately, because this is where I've been, God's been convicting me for 21 days. Do you believe that I want to show up in miracle, in miracle kind of ways? Do you believe that? And so in a moment, I was like, I think that maybe God would send me into a bathroom at Myrtle Beach so that he could tell a girl, hey, I love you. And so I walked up to her in the bathroom and I was like, hey, this is really weird, I know. Um, I just have been overhearing you crying and um, I was wondering like, what's going on? And she starts telling me that she's on a vacation with her friends. And the guy that she's with has cheated on her yet again. She just found out because somebody called her to let her know. And she's like, I don't even know what to do. I don't wanna go out there and be with him. I feel like a failure. I'm gonna have to go stay in the same hotel room as him after I leave here. I feel like I'm worth nothing. And her friend is like, it's okay, like, it's okay. I just looked at her in the eyes and I was like, we don't know each other. But I, here's what I'll tell you is that I love Jesus. And he's really good. And in fact, I feel like Jesus might be so good that he sent me from Grovetown, Georgia to tell you that God loves you and there's actually a better way for you to live. That you don't actually have to live like that. That you actually don't have to take that. That you don't have to believe that you're worth nothing. I actually can believe that. And I believe that God might could meet us in this small little bathroom. And she was like, okay. And I was like, can I pray for you? And she was like, sure. And so I grabbed her little hands and her friend scurried off because I think it got really weird, you know. And I grabbed her hands and we prayed in the middle of a bathroom at a restaurant at Broadway at the beach in Myrtle Beach. Now, she didn't make a decision for the Lord. I have no idea what's happened. But I'm wondering, church, that if we live in a way where we are fully convinced that God is good and no matter the consequences, I am willing to stand for him. What could happen to the world that we live in with a bunch of people like that? Because I actually think that the gospel could go forward. I actually think that people who are broken and hurting could find the Savior that they need. And it takes us being fully, fully convinced. Because a life that is guided by conviction shows up with expectation there's an expectation that God will move. So I want you to stand with me, because we're gonna close. And here's what I wanna ask you today as we're closing, is are you living with conviction in your life? Is that the life that you're living? Is the life you're living one that is guided by conviction? Are you displaying Jesus in your world, or are there places where you have been compromising? Maybe culture has been pulling and the pressure of culture, instead of, instead of you know, living with convictions and withstanding, you've actually, maybe you've compromised. That's okay. Jesus is quick to forgive when we repent. My question is, is, is there a place maybe where you felt pressure? God wants to meet you here today. And maybe you're sitting here, I don't wanna assume, maybe you've never received Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Maybe you've never made that decision. I can tell you that it is without a doubt the best decision that you will ever make. And the very first step into living a life guided by conviction is entering in a decision to say that, Gee, I need a Savior that actually I'm separated from God and I need him. That is the very first step in living a life of conviction. And if that's you today, Jesus wants to meet you. You can do it right there in your seat. All you have to do is say, Jesus, I believe that you're Lord. I know that my sin has separated from me. Can you come and live in my heart and he will do it. I believe that that will happen. And hey, if you wanna do that, I would love to meet you right after service. I think it'd be awesome to be able to talk to you about it. But for most of us in this room, what we need to ask ourselves is, am I living with conviction? And we need to ask that God would show us areas where we're not. And we need to ask God to help us, to give us a heart for his word. So I'm gonna pray for you and here's here's what we're gonna do. If you wanna come down to the altar because you wanna respond to the message, this altar is open for you. But here's what I'm asking is that you respond either way. So whether you sit in your seats, maybe you wanna open up your hands, maybe you wanna ask God to, to, he can look into your heart and he can actually say something to you. I believe that he's gonna do it. So I'm gonna pray for you. Lord, we love you. You are so good. In fact, God, you are better than we even know. Our best ideas don't even come close to you. And Lord, I pray for every single one of us that are in this room right now, God, would you move in our lives in only the way that you can. God, for some of us in here, Lord, what you are pointing out today is areas where we have allowed ourselves to conform, where we're not living on the edge, where we have allowed culture to dictate for us, places where we have said we're living one way and we're doing another. God, we're living wishy-washy. We're living by our emotions and our feelings and your word doesn't actually have say. God, today we repent. We ask that you would forgive us, Lord. God, may we, all of us in this room, be people who live by conviction. God, that we would be so convinced deep down in our bones that it oozes out into the rest of humanity. God, that we would change our workplaces, our schools, our sports teams. God, that everybody that gets around us is like, they're different. I want to look like that. I need that. I need that kind of peace. I need that kind of joy. Would you do it, God? God, we repent. Lord, give us a love for your word. Give us a love for your word and help us to live out what it says. God, give us strength where it's hard. Give us strength where we have questions about how does that work? God, would you show us, Lord? Would you be faithful to do it? And God, I pray if there's someone that's in this room, Lord, maybe they've never made a decision for you. God, would you move in their hearts? Would they know you, really know you, be fully convinced that you're God and you love them and you died for their sins, Jesus. We love you. God, go with us. Give us power and strength to live out this word. Would it transform us and bear fruit in our lives, God? We love you in Jesus' name, amen.